What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. If you want to change your culture, you need to standardize what you do and you've got to roll up your sleeves and demonstrate what good looks like. Taking a hands-off approach isn't going to get the job done. That's the argument that Sylvia Miramontes makes. To give you a little bit of background on Sylvia's story, she's got 20 years of experience all across various functions of HR. She's been in human resources from a formal perspective. She's been in learning and development, management, talent acquisition, new program and process implementation. She's done a lot of strategic planning, team leadership, regulatory compliance. So the TLDR version of all of that is if there is a function or capability in HR that exists, Sylvia's probably done that. She has been successfully leading the human resources and organizational development operations team at Foothill Credit Union as the CHRO. And prior to that, she's worked in the HR function in both the nonprofit space and in broadcasting. So Sylvia, super excited to have you on. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And before we dive into the real meaty part of the discussion, I'd like you to share with the audience some of the things that you feel is important for them to know about you that's going to inform this conversation that we're about to have. One of them is that I always am involved toward arm's length in every process of what I do. And what I mean by that is I'm able to jump in anything that my team does. And because of that, it helps me understand the need of our culture and of my teams and of the future team members that we're going to bring on board. Those are, that is super important to know. Two is I never stop learning. I never stop educating myself, whether it's seminars, networking, reading articles, books. That's always I, I have to do. I think those two things help me be successful and able to lead the teams that I do. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, those two things, your willingness to jump in and your continuous learning mindset. How did that develop? Where did that come from? Early in my career, I worked for an individual who wanted to be aware of everything that happened, that you needed to do everything. But then when you needed help, that leader wouldn't know how to do it or didn't know how to lead you. So it was very confusing and challenging, especially if you're new to the job or to the industry, whatever that may be. So he got to a point that I understood that it was up to me to take the lead in a sense. And I told myself that as I progress in my career, that I will never let anyone feel the way I was feeling confused and lost. So that's how everything started. And I said, you know what? I'll take it on myself. I started helping my teammates back then, leading, answering questions. And that's how I start at the love for leadership. That's a great example of defining what good looks like. You, you saw what bad looked like and that, that shifted your perspective on what good should look like. But there's a danger in what you're describing because oftentimes if leaders are too eager to jump in, and quote unquote, help out, you, you stifle the ability of the team or the members of the team to learn. So how did you find the right balance 
to strike between those two things? One, you have to be able to adapt to all the leadership styles that we have. One of my favorites is servant leadership, but you have to be able to adapt. You have to know your team, learn to know them, how they work, how they learn, because it's so very important. So it was about that, getting to know them, having those one-on-one conversations, coaching sessions that help me understand how they work. For example, in my current team, I have some team members who just need me to tell them a very task-oriented and say, this is a task, and then we follow up and check in as they need it. I have others who need a little more help in saying, hey, let's design it, but you tell me how you want that design to look like. Where do I jump in? And because I'm aware of their opportunities that they have in their roles or the strengths that they have in their roles, I'm able to jump in as needed. So it won't be me doing their job. It will be me being on the side ready for when they need me. That's a great perspective that you bring to the table. One of the other interesting things about your background is that you've worked in a lot of different industries and these industries are like drastically different. You've worked in media, you've worked in healthcare, and now you're working in financials in the credit union space. So those are drastically different. How did those varied experiences prepare you for your current role as a CHRO in a credit union? I think that's one of the advantages that I have in my position, that I work for different industries. I worked for early in my career in in immigration law. I was HR for immigration law. That helped me understand the legality of everything. But I have to say that when I work in the behavioral healthcare, it helped me not only not only validated what I thought about emotional intelligence, but it definitely validated that feeling. Why? Because if you don't understand behaviors, one, that not everyone can be led the same way to, and three, that you don't know your own limitations, you won't be able to be in a role where you can lead successfully. And once you get to that role, you understand that there's even more space of learning. And this is why I said earlier that the learning never stops, right? Whether it's that micro learning or going to a new certification, whatever that, that may be. But working for that behavioral for almost 10 years in behavioral health, that was for me was eye opener. For 10 years, I understood that we have to understand the human brain is not just the emotional, it's a human brain, behaviors, trade patterns in order to understand who you work for. Because again, you have to be able to adapt to the people that you're leading. Because even if you have a great team, Not everyone is going to work the same way. Really great stuff in terms of how your experience in the mental health space prepared you uh, and gave you some insight. Now, that brings up another question. You're almost 10 years in that space. And typically what I've seen is people spend that that, that amount of time in any sort of sector. They, They stay in that sector and progress through there. With almost 10 years in that space, why did you make the decision to go into a completely different industry? Definitely was not looking for it. It was one of those opportunities that someone reached out. And for me, I'm super passionate about developing, whether it's a practice, a policy, an entire department, I'm passionate about that. The team that I have built back where I was at the behavioral health nonprofit was in the space where they were not going to suffer with my departure in a sense, right? Because that's my goal, to always make sure that people are able to do their job, even if I'm there. So when I heard about this opportunity, their culture was suffering. And they were looking for someone who can help them in a way understand the whys. Because they were saying, Sylvia, we're doing this, but yet they're saying this. So we don't know that one. So to me, it was that challenge. One, I always ask myself, am I happy doing it? And two, can I do it? So once I answered those, those questions, to me, it felt like I can bring my skill set to this company who has a culture with a lot of potential, 
but they didn't understand them why certain things were happening. And that's where I decided to make the show. That makes a lot of sense. And that actually brings me to the next thing that I'm wondering. You're almost at three years in your current role. What are the big moonshot goals or initiatives that you have on your radar that you want to knock out? Actually, keep elevating on culture. And something that we have to be very mindful is you have a good culture and sometimes you don't want to rock the boat. But in order to evolve, you do have to dig deeper. You have an iceberg. Your mission, your core values are under the iceberg. So people can only see the top. They can only see what's working, what's not. But internally, if you want to evolve your culture, you have to look at it again. So that's exactly what I'm going to do next year is a culture study. Just because if you ask me, things are looking great. They're moving the right way. But because we're making so many changes, some people may say, you know what? No, I don't feel that way. Even though you pay me more, I don't feel. So it's understanding that behavior to say, okay, if we, in a way, stabilize salaries, decisions, job description, what's next? What do I need to work on in order for my culture to evolve and take us to the next level? So you mentioned something that that caught my attention, and that was you have a lot of changes that are happening within the organization. And oftentimes what I've seen is in organizations that are going through a lot of change, the pace of change or the meaning behind the change falls apart at the manager level and at the individual contributor level, because they're not connecting the dots on why is this happening in the first place. Tell us a little bit about how you've put systems or processes in place to to guard against it getting lost in translation at the front lines of your organization. It's interesting because we're actually going through that. There's something called the J curve, right? And when you make so many changes, you hit the bottom, right, of the curve. And a lot of people, a lot of executives, not just here's anywhere you go, may feel that's a bad place to be, including team members and managers. So if we're in that space, that means we're never getting out. That means that we won't be able to succeed. But on the contrary, I invite people to see it as, as an opportunity to resolve something that we have. That space in the jerk court is an opportunity. So then you tell me, and this is the conversations that we're having with our team members, with our managers, and we're actually going to go through a process, a training next year, quarter one, about change. And basically the conversations that I have is the only constant thing in life, at work, professionally, is change. But even with that, and if you're not comfortable with change, you still have some control. And that's the control of how you behave with that change the thoughts that you have with that about it and how you explain to others that change. The responsibility as a manager that we have is even if we are in a way uncomfortable or uneasy, it's okay, how am I relaying the message? Am I transmitting that anxiety to my employees or am I saying, hey guys, I'm being honest with you. This is what I think, but I also believe and see where we're going and this is the why. Explain that, that why we're going to go there. And, and saying to people, hey, it's okay to feel this way as long as we're doing something to feel better about it tomorrow. I, I really like how you emphasized the point about communication and also defining or framing where everybody's mindset should be. I think a lot of times what happens is that when you're in that J-curve and you're in the bottom end of that J-curve, because people are in an environment where those sort of conversations aren't allowed, they lapse back into what's easy and what's comfortable and you never make it out of that curve into the intended outcome of that change management process. So it's really good that you've embedded that communication culture in place. In the beginning of the conversation, I talked about needing to be hands-on if you want to have culture change. And we've already hinted at some of the things that you're doing in terms of being hands-on. 
How does that aspect of being hands-on to drive culture change inform, how is that informed by that game-changing realization that you had that really helped you build high-performance teams? Imagine telling someone to do something, whatever. And like I said earlier, I experienced that. And that person coming to you, being brave enough to say, hey, I don't know how to do that, or I'm uncomfortable with this, and not knowing how to lead that person, how to answer that question, but more than anything, not leading by example, meaning not you being able to do it yourself, that's where you have a lot of problems. In, in cultures, that's something that you change overnight, and you're going to have a lot of people expressing that, that either uncomfortableness or they feel like maybe you're going uh, the opposite way that you're supposed to, whatever that may be. Not being comfortable having uncomfortable conversations and being transparent and also sharing that you may feel that way too. But again, going back to the, but this is the why we're doing it. That is what's going to, it has helped. And like I said, we're still going through the emotions right now. And it will be there in a space where we're all going to feel comfortable having those uncomfortable conversations. But it's showing and leading by doing it yourself too. I go to the branches. I talk to employees with my team. I, let's say someone is out one day. I'll jump in and do a job description because I can do it because I need to show that's important because it is important. Wow. It's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. We're taking the HR impact show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR impact show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people innovation and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is gonna be the best yet. Here's what you can expect. Innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300 plus speakers, and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. I like your emphasis of jumping in and filling gaps where it's needed. I think you'll, you present a edge case where you've had so many different functions within HR that you have a pretty broad set of experiences and knowledge about how all the different stuff should be done. So the question becomes, what if you're a leader that doesn't have the broad experience that you have and you're asked the question on how do I do this? It's not easy for that type of leader to jump in. So how would you advise that profile of a leader to be hands-on when they don't have direct experience doing that particular job? One of the first things I always say is, it's okay to say I don't know. It's really okay. It doesn't make you less of a manager, less of a leader. On the contrary, it shows that you are a person like anyone else in the company. However, what I do emphasize is, you know what? I don't know, but why don't we look at it together? Or I don't know, but let me find out. Or guess what? You know what? Actually, this person from this department has experience. Let's talk to the person and find out. It's okay to say nobody's, the party's, okay, what am I doing? I don't know, but how am I going to find out? Then second, is being honest with yourself and look for help 
in assistance either with your HR, your your immediate supervisor, whoever that may be, and gain that skill. I don't I have so much more to learn, but emotional intelligence is not something that, for example, when I went to school at the university level, they taught me. No, it's something that I learned through the years and I started looking into it myself. Okay, what is this? Do I like it? Do I not like it? So it's a lot of investment that you do, but you also have to get your employer to help you. And there's so many different resources that you can do or obtain, even if you don't have the money per se, the budget, there's a lot of free resources. I like the the emphasis that you put on on the fact that it's okay to say that you don't know. I also like the fact that you called out the ability to bring in other people into the conversation that might give a fuller picture. Now let's drill that down even further. Let's say you're a fairly early stage leader and maybe you recently got promoted into a leadership role from an individual contributor role. What are the things that you should be doing to make sure that you're creating space for your employees to learn versus jumping in too quickly? Psychological safety, one, first and foremost, psychological safety. It's about never trying to do something that you don't know how to do because that usually gets you in more trouble or some type of predicament. Our job for those new leaders and even current leaders is creating that environment where they feel that it's okay to make mistakes by owning them. You own the mistake. Accepting the feedback, always give the why, always as to why you're having that conversation, but then investing the time and resources. One of the things that we do and we started doing recently is having orientations for newly promoted managers, whether you have experience or not, we have a set of, and through those trainings, we talk about a lot about this, but also we have something else that is called a leadership academy in which we teach all of these types of skills. But again, don't be afraid to say no or that you don't know, but also don't commit to something that you don't know how to do. So there's something that I want, I'd like you to expand. And you mentioned you have to create an environment that has psychological safety. You have to create an environment where there's space to make mistakes and and there's space for people to own the role. So those are all great. What are the things that we need to do practically as leaders to make that happen. Putting aside things like safety and violence, we put those aside. Let's talk about just your day-to-day. First and foremost, understanding that why the mistake happened, why the action, why, is it because it was a lack of knowledge? Is it because, I don't know, full play, whatever that may be, you need to understand that why it didn't happen. Honesty, believe it or not, honesty during those conversations, very respectful honesty, it's what we practice. Because if I try to, soften it up. If I try to say things in a way that I'm not going to hurt someone's feeling, again, always respectfully, is you want to miss the point. So you have to be super honest. Okay. If it was a lack of knowledge or training, was that on our part or their part? So as you navigating those questions, you start creating a report in a space where you tell the other person, Hey, it's okay. Let's fix it together. But I need you to tell me the why's. And and you'll see that once you open that door, people will start coming naturally to you and even being saying to you the things that you're not maybe even aware of. Another thing that we practice a lot here is the SBI module. And that's you it's a feedback module where you talk about okay, what happened, the behavior, how that affected you. And if you train your team members, your employees on this module, this psychological safety becomes easier as you progress. As you practice this, it becomes easier to create that space. I think we've done a good job of laying the foundation of creating an environment where you're creating high communication, you're creating psychological safety, 
we've also mapped out some of the things that managers and leaders need to do to create that sort of environment. Let's say there's someone that's listening to the show and that wants to build this sort of culture. What are the things that they need to be paying attention to that you didn't realize when you started this process that they need to have an eye towards? And how do they get started? It's important to ask questions, whether you think that's going to be whether you think you're going to get an answer that is going to create more work for you, you have to ask the questions. Whether you do it in an environment, for example, a survey, or whether you do a focus group, one-on-one, doing an all-team meeting, you have to ask the questions. Yes, sometimes we get answers that we don't necessarily want, or they're not going to be as positive, but you need to, one, ask the questions. Two, you really, truly need to be invested in the process. Meaning, what type of leader are you one? What type of leaders you want to create too? And, it, and I don't, when I say leaders, I don't just talk about a manager, a VP, a director. We all are leaders to an extent, if you think about it. My tellers, right, my MSRs, to an extent, they are leaders in their position. So what is it that you want out of that? Then are you being, what type of leader are you? Are you a servant leader? Are you a transformational leader? Because believe it or not, we have to be all of them, not just one. We may have favorite styles, like mine is server leadership, adaptive leadership, but we have to be able to understand the move. And then as you get the answers, do something about it. Because you get, you ask questions and you don't do anything, then your culture is never going to improve. You're going to be stuck in there. I will say that start from the beginning. Look at your job descriptions. Are they clear? Believe it or not, that can create your culture too. Look at policy and procedures. Do they make sense? Because that's the foundation of everything. Because if you think about it, you don't have policy and procedures up to date or job descriptions up to date. There's already an uneasy feeling of, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where we're going. You know what I mean? So if you have that as a foundation, that's the first. Now, whether you have resources or not, whether you have budget or not, there's a lot of free things out there that you can look and get. Once you have them and identify the resources that you have, Build them up. What type of resources do I need to uh, train my managers? What type of resources or tools do I have to train my entry-level position? Again, culture is something that you don't work in it in one year and it's over. It's every single year, every time. It's ongoing. But the beautiful thing about it is I see it as a building. You're constructing a building. The first thing in the layer is your foundation. Then it's your first floor, which is your what? What type of trainings do you have? Do you have the right people? Then your second floor, am I promoting and not? What do I have a DI program, so on and so forth? That's how you should see culture. You, sometimes it takes you years, but guess what? At least you're already mastered the foundation, the first or the second floor. There's a couple of things out of what you said that I think is is really important to, to pull out of there. One, you can't be looking at this as a quick fix exercise. It's going to take, it, it's going to take reps over uh, a long period of time to make this sort of change. But the other thing that you mentioned, and I think this is important, is that sometimes the biggest impact on these cultural changes that you're driving can be seen in small things that look pretty ordinary. You mentioned job descriptions, you mentioned position descriptions, roles and responsibilities and how those are defined. None of that Mm -hmm. is particularly sexy, but if it's unclear across the organization, on what each person is supposed to do, and that's not communicated clearly, you're gonna you're setting yourself up for a poor foundation to build from. So I think that's a that's an important element to pull out and talk through. So real great conversation, Sylvia. When you think about everything that we've talked about, what are the two or three key things that 
our listeners are going to need to pay attention to when they're thinking about being a hands-on leader and building the type of culture that everybody wants to be a part of? One, ask questions. Whether you are nervous about the answers, ask questions. But if you ask the question, be ready to act on it. And if you can, be honest and transparent about what you can and cannot do. And if you cannot do it, try to find ways to resolve it. If not, again, go back. Be honest and transparent. That's one. Two, ask yourself, am I passionate? Do I love this? Am I happy doing this? Because if you are, it's going to be reflective. And three, it's okay, regardless of the level you are, to go back and do some of those tasks that you used to do years and years ago. Because it will remind you what your team member is going through, the obstacles, the challenges, but it will also remind you why you love what you're doing so much. Great great stuff, Sylvia. If people want to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? It can be through my LinkedIn, of course, Sylvia Miramontes, and my email here, smiramontes at foothillcu.org. For sure, they can reach out to me. Happy to help in any way I can. Awesome stuff. I appreciate you hanging out with us. When I think about this conversation that we've had, there's a couple of themes that that I, I want to call attention to. One, I think when we're talking about cultural transformation, oftentimes when we hear about those sort of things, we think these are these grand gestures that you have to do, these big things that you have to accomplish in order to make that happen. And I think it's important to point out that these things all start small. So if you want to get from where you are to some better place down the road, get into the details of what needs to change and what are the ordinary things that you can easily lift to get some quick wins. I think that's an important piece of, uh, of the conversation that I want to highlight. The other thing that I, I want to call out is if you want to do a cultural transformation or if you want to execute this well, it's really important to focus on how you communicate the message, and and particularly the why behind the what and the how. So that's important. And making sure that people have the right mindset. And Sylvia, you highlighted this a couple of times where you said that this is not going to be an overnight process. And when we're talking about the J-curve, a lot of people might not be seeing progress at the pace that they want, and they may Mm -hmm. get discouraged. So this is where a leader needs to step up and really be tight on how they communicate and the vision for where they're going. So if you're trying to make these transformational changes and your communication is not as consistent as it should be, your vision for what that better world looks isn't there, you're going to have a lot of problems in executing this well. So pay attention to those things. That's what stood out to me in the conversation. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. For those of you who have listened to the conversation, let us know what you thought of it and leave us a review. Tune in next time where we'll have another great leader joining us and sharing with us the game-changing insights that they had that helped them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.